In these uncertain times, the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you for your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at theregistrysf.com. Today, we have an opportunity to sit down with Manny Fishman. He is a shareholder in the San Francisco office of Buckhalter, where he focuses his practice on representing real estate developers and owners in the acquisition, sale, and financing of commercial properties. In addition, he has an active leasing practice representing owners of several major office buildings in San Francisco, as well as tenants in lease and sublease transactions. Manny also acts as outside general counsel to startups that seek to leverage some part of commercial real estate into a tech application. Manny is well known in San Francisco where he serves as a chair of the Building Owners and Managers Association of San Francisco's Government Affairs and Policy Advisory Committee. He's also a member of the International Council of Shopping Centers and the Real Property Sections of the American Bar Association and the State Bar of California. Most recently, Manny has been recognized as a 2020 Best Lawyer in America in Real Estate Law, an honor he has received since 2007. Welcome, Manny Fishman. Manny, good afternoon. How are you? Okay, good to talk to you. Yeah, where does this podcast find you today? Well, um, I actually am working out of the office. I know we're supposed to uh, shelter a place at home, but the, the office is empty and my screen setup is just perfect here, and I, I just find it more comfortable uh, being away from the family, just working at my normal my normal desk. Yeah, and your office is in downtown San Francisco, correct? Correct. Uh, we're in downtown San Francisco, where if you've been here recently, it, it, it looks totally different. The streets are vacant. Uh, retail is boarded up in many cases because it's less expensive to board up your window than having to deal with uh, broken uh, plate glass and many uh, street level uh, retail is just taking that opportunity. Yeah, are, are you noticing other people walk around the city and they're kind of uh, looking at you knowing that you both are sneaking into your offices? Is that happening? <laughs> there are a few people that seem to be dressed normally going into buildings, but we're far and few. Yeah. Great. Um, so Manny, um, just for the benefit of our audience, tell us a little bit about your firm, your um, your activity there, wh what you do, and how you guys serve the commercial real estate industry. Sure. Uh, well, Buckhalter is um, a regional uh, firm of about 300 lawyers. Um, we're a full-service firm, so we uh, provide legal services to many industries and across a lot of uh, verticals. Um, um, and uh, real estate is one of the primary practice areas of the firm. And so I am the chair of the Northern California Real Estate Group um, out of San Francisco. Um, and we do uh, you know, a wide range of real estate transactions from uh, joint ventures, um, uh, leasing, purchase and sales, a lot of lending work. Um, and uh, construction agreements and all the things that one uh, expects in a in a downtown office building. 
Right. So safe to safe to assume, uh, Manny, that in all, over the last decade, since the last recession, the business has been robust, uh, growing steadily. Um, how does that compare to today? Well, we're. Um, I'd say for most of us, uh, it's still a good time to be in real estate. It's a challenging time. Uh, assets that had value still have value. Uh, we're going to take a hit uh, for a short term. But um, none of the people that I'm speaking with are talking about getting out. Uh, they're, in fact, they're waiting and keeping their powder dry. And I, I think once we see a, a new normal, and we, we should talk about that, there will be opportunities and there will be this asset class uh, will stay stable. Yeah, so let's talk about that new normal. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, when we go back to normal. And I am of the opinion that there is no going back to anything. We are just going to advance from where we are today. Um, I would love to hear your sort of perspective on on that and perhaps how that's playing itself out in the industry also. Um, sure. Uh, let's deal with that. I, I think we've all been kind of sucked into this idea that we can pack more people into our space and that we need less uh, space per employee. And many of the models we've been using is how many square foot per employee do you use? And we try to bring that number down. I, I think uh, we're going to see a reversal in that. Uh, I don't think we're going to see as much uh, sitting around uh, desks and all working together. I think people are going to want some private areas, and I do think there's going to be some permanent uh, social distancing. Um, I think what this pandemic taught us is that our society is vulnerable, and these will come back. This is the first, and our space needs are going to have to address that. Uh, if one talks to brokers, um, I think uh, we're going to see uh, companies seeing more of their employees working remotely, having an A and B system where some people stay home. I think we're going to see more uh, departments remote operate remotely, an accounts receivable department operating in a different area um, than uh, the main office. And I think that is going to affect lease transactions, uh, build out, ordering furniture, uh, just think about workstations, and uh, we all have to we will all have to consider that. And, and that goes to building operations. Um, it goes to parking facilities. Um, uh, it goes to, to amenities. Just think about all the startup companies that had lunch rooms um, in their floors. Are we still going to continue to do that? Right. So there's a lot of rethinking, and I think uh, that's exciting. Uh, but um, uh, but but that's what that's what the future holds for us uh, for the next few years. And I think I think it might seem easier to think about some of those things. Let's say if you were commencing a lease or starting a negotiation and thinking about your space utilization, what are some of your clients doing that are already in lease agreements? Are are you are you seeing? Uh, an attempt to renegotiate, an attempt to sort of change some terms. Um, how is that getting impacted? Right. Um, it's a good point. Uh, going into a new lease and being able to demo the space and make it your own is one thing. Uh, when you're 
for, for many of us, including my law firm, we're in our office space. Our lease is coming up in the next few years. What do we do? Um, and uh, I think a, a concept that uh, we need to revisit that, uh, that we had a few years ago, something called swing space. Landlords are, will be best served if they're able to have a spec floor that they can move an existing tenant to for a three to six month period while their existing space is being renovated pursuant to some plan and pursuant with a, a normal tenant improvement work agreement to um, reduce the impact of a relocation uh, by an existing credit worthy tenant that you want to work with. Um, and having that swing space will make the big difference in any renewal discussions. Um, and, and, you know, having your all space planners uh, and all your consultants about how you remodel or reposition uh, work, working groups uh, in your office is one thing. Uh, but um, where a landlord can best serve its tenant uh, is to be able to have some space uh, that a tenant can move to during that during that period. Yeah, and where are you seeing um, where are you seeing some of the rub happening? So, what is it on the landlord side that the landlord would prefer, and then what's happening on the um, tenant side that they want? Where you know they're trying, you know, this is the area of negotiation, right? Well, most landlords um, uh, are, are are looking at their tenants and um, uh, want uh, them to pay rent. Uh, and that is, um, that's the primary objective right now. Uh, and uh, if a tenant can meet the landlord more than halfway by saying, I'd like to start negotiations for a blend and extend, including X, Y, and Z, one of them would be a nice improvement allowance. One of them would be, do you have swing space so I'm not um, adversely impacted during this period? That will help in the discussions about uh, uh, a new rent. I think most people... Uh, it's funny. It, it seems to be two different worlds, Vlad. If you look at the um, uh, the reports that are coming out, the large corporate tenant renewals are just proceeding without a hitch. Uh, they're renewing now, um, but at a good rental rate. Um, you know, the 100,000 uh, uh, square foot visa visa corporate corporation renewals just go down the line on some of them. They're renewing at a high face rent uh, amount. But then there's a different world. They're the service companies of the regional companies, uh, the regional law firms, accounting firms. Uh, those are different lease transactions. And I think we're going to see um, um, a, re, a repositioning of the market. And we don't know where that is. So a smart landlord is trying to get those tenants to uh, sign on the dotted line now uh, by providing some rent relief, uh, uh, extending an improvement allowance, and uh, doing an extended term now. Uh, tenants, on the other hand, um, because of this uncertainty, should be looking at you know some lease clauses. Uh, you know, lease clauses like force majeure, lease clauses like interruption of services, lease clauses like operating expenses, and, and, and test some of those boundaries. Do you think that five, 10-year leases are going to be the norm going forward? Um, I think we'll see five plus fives uh, You might uh, would be the norm. I do think so. Um, uh, I don't see a movement. You know, an argument can be made 
that they should be a little less because we don't want to commit for that long a term. But let's let me go back to what I said at the beginning. This asset class uh, is a good asset class. Most businesses are still going to need offices. Um, I'm, I'm not. We're not. This is not a. Uh, let's test our model of uh, should we be in the office market uh, situation. Uh, these buildings are just like you and I were speaking before, a place for people to meet. It is, there's a value in working collaboratively in person, even if we have to be uh, a few feet apart, and that can't be replaced at all times by working remotely. Uh, so um, I do think we're still going to see longer term leases of five to 10 years uh, as a norm. Right. What about um, the product itself? So uh, there was a lot of desire to be in downtown San Francisco. There was a lot of desire to be in urban centers. Um, is, is that is that something that's going to draw the employee of the future and the employers of the future also? Are you already seeing some of your clients consider things like, you know, let's go to a suburban locale where there's more space, you know, that kind of thing? Um, yeah. uh, a good question. Uh, and uh, there's been some recent articles about that. In other words, uh, think of your think of the attraction of um, New York or Chicago or to some extent San Francisco. The whole attraction was you could take public transportation, which was convenient and inexpensive and worked at all hours, and literally get down to the urban uh, downtown core and work there and then come back home. Um, and is that model still the prevalent model? Is anyone going to want to get on BART and ride, ride BART for 45 minutes uh, to come to downtown San Francisco? The BART ridership is down significantly. Um, it, it remains to be seen, but I think part of that train has left the station. The amount of young kids living downtown now, um, it, it, that generation is going to be here. True, we're going to see some suburban office. Uh, and if you look at some of the uh, the reports from the brokerage community, uh, those properties are, are now very attractive um, because they have outdoor parking. Um, the drive is much less. Driving is an option versus downtown San Francisco or most urban areas uh, where driving is considered uh, unattractive and really discouraged. So I do think what you're saying bears some merit, but um, overall, I think uh, the downtown core will still be a place where most people will live, will like to be entertained, We'll like to go to lunch when lunch goes back, when lunches, restaurants are open, uh, and that we will see um, a new normal, but that we'll still see the value of the downtown core. Right. So, Manny, your firm also works with construction companies, um, and uh, tell us how that is evolving. So, apparently, there's uh, some back and forth, obviously, because there are more change orders now. Uh, things are getting a little bit slower. They're picking back up again. I think this week was sort of a big week for construction in California, and we're talking about a week of you know May May fifth here. Um, tell us how your firm is dealing with with that, and what are what are some trends that you're noticing there? This is a, this is a great uh, topic to talk about, um, and um, I work with a, a lot of uh, construction companies that do tenant improvements, and they're really happy to. Uh, be back uh, working. Um, it does pose operational issues uh, for uh, building owners, 
and property managers, and it also poses issues for the contractors and their employees. And um, there are two sets of issues. Um, a building owner has a duty of reasonable care uh, that it has to uh, meet with respect to the safety of its building. And so they do have to establish some procedures for uh, independent contractors and vendors that come into their building. Uh, and that includes, uh, you know, most of the contractors that are doing TI work. We do still have to limit how many people go into an elevator. We have to, um, we have to limit, uh, we have to impose um, some hygiene and other requirements. Uh, and so, uh, and if uh, one of those contractors has an employee who's sick, they have to let us know as a building owner. Contractors have the same duty, and at some level they have a higher duty. The duty that an employer owes to his or her employees is actually higher than the duty of reasonable care that a property owner owes to tenants. Those contractors are imposing a lot of requirements on building owners, work, work environments, and their own employees. That's all adding to time and cost. And I, it, it's a good 10 to 15% uh, cost. And I think we're going to see, we're going to want to pay for it. We have to pay for it. Uh, but um, we're going to have to see increased hygiene and increased sanitation daily on work sites yeah. and increased and more secure check-in procedures in buildings. So who is paying for that right now? Are the contractors able to pass on the value of that to their clients or is it, uh, this is the point of negotiation? It's a point of negotiation, but they are passing it through to uh, the tenants or their, uh, their uh, the, you know, the contracting party. Building owners have a, a broader base. It's an operating expense. Yeah. And um, I don't think um, we may see a move towards um, uh, trying to cap some expenses, but um, the, we will see increased operating expenses uh, this year. Uh, though one can argue, yes, we'll see increased operating expenses in this area, but for two months, our janitorial costs should have been down, or for two months, our HVAC costs should have been down. So overall, it's, un, it's still unclear whether we're going to see a spike or just a little bit of a, an increase that'll, that'll modulate back down. Are you noticing that some of these discussions are slowing down, some of these developments and construction projects? Well, they had slowed down before, but... Uh, uh, there, this week, uh, though I haven't gotten any calls this week, this week we, I'm sure there are going to be some discussions about here are the additional costs that are, we're incurring uh, to, um, to finish your project on time. Right. I mean, let's, let, let's remember um, this, this um, pandemic, this health emergency has put a stop to most tenants being able to move out of current space and being able to move into current space, into new space. And that, you know, that pressure, uh, that backlog is something that everyone wants to remove. And at some point, um, it's a cost they're willing to bear, the, the tenant. And in some cases, the landlord may help because if there's a higher face rent, they're going to say, look, I'll contribute to this additional cost. Your improvements allowance was, you know, $100 a square foot. We'll make it $105 a square foot because we want to make sure that this work gets completed on time. Yeah. 
So um, let's also talk about uh, some uh, potentially, you know, future issues. Um, and maybe they're not potentially future issues. Maybe they're already emerging as, as, as issues. Um, one is around, um, and you and I talked about this when we had our uh, call a few days ago, but one is about these operational questions. Can a building owner deny access to a building to a person not yes. wearing a mask, um, things like that. Um, another one, which I think is also being now discussed on the federal level in Congress, is um, the liability of employers um, if if uh, if an employee gets sick at work. Um, is it covered by workers' compensation? Um, you know, things like that. So there's these are like now emerging theories. I would I would argue on the on the legal spectrum. Tell us a little bit about how that's evolving. There are no uh, magic answers here because it's still very early on. Operationally, um, I, because of the the public health orders that are now in effect, which require people to report to, uh, in San Francisco, the San Francisco public health officer, any uh, uh, any uh, outbreak of, of COVID-19 or anyone that's testing positive, uh, a building owner does have the ability to deny access to someone that tests positive uh, because they'd have to report it and there's an order in effect that governs how um, these reports to the public health department have to be made. So I think because we have a public health order in effect that governs reporting of of testing positive building owners have some cover in denying access but in other jurisdictions you have to check if there's a public health order in place uh, before you can just deny access yeah and and i'm sorry to interrupt but this also implies that there's some sort of uh, self-declaration that this person has the virus right i mean how would a how would a property manager know that um otherwise um, you're 100% right, uh, unless the property manager or the building elects to do uh, testing or a therm uh, to getting uh, someone's temperature, temperature readers when they go in, uh, it's going to be self-reporting. Uh, but, um, and I don't think, I do not think from anything I've heard here in San Francisco in the Bay Area, um, unless uh, 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 single tenant occupancy buildings excluded. So a building where only Slack is the tenant and controls the tenant, a building where only Facebook is the tenant, they may actually put in temperature readers because it's only their employees. Right. But in the most of the downtown buildings, I do not see a trend for temperature readers. It is going to be self-reporting. Um, and um, uh, that's the case where if, if a tenant says uh, we have a positive testing person that person is just not going to be able to uh th 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 we should eliminate their fob card and stuff like that for the period of time right what about this whole discussion around liability for employers and yeah. um workers compensation and how that might play out this is um more of a glass half empty glass half full discussion i'll tell you why i say it that way i'm always a glass half full discussion i'm a bit of more of an optimist and i don't see the the imminent threat, and I don't see the imminent need. Um, there's already plenty of laws on the books. Uh, the liability of uh, reasonable care, uh, if we meet CDC guidelines, um, uh, should satisfy any claim. Sure, there will be spurious claims, but there have always been spurious claims. Do I see 
a big rise in them. I don't see it in, 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 the, in the asset class we're talking about. Is there a potential for someone, uh, an employee, to say, um, I don't have health insurance otherwise, so I'm going to claim that I was exposed to COVID-19 at work and therefore be covered by worker compensation and therefore see an avalanche of those claims, thereby increasing rates for employers. There is, but I don't see the immediate need now. I don't even see the immediate need in shopping centers. You can argue that going to a shopping center uh, exposes you a little higher and um, there needs to be some differentiation of allocation of risk. But let, let's be practical here. Are we actually going to ask people to sign indemnity agreements before they enter into bowling alleys or shopping centers? I just don't see it. Uh, but I agree that it's being discussed. I think, I, I think it's more a political issue than an actual need uh, that, uh, in, in real estate. Yeah. So as we look at 2020, 2021, 2022, and further out. Um, what are some? What are some? I don't know. Pieces of advice. What are things that you have seen in the past that might be applicable here? That might kind of you know give us a sense of how the world is going to change and look like uh, going forward. You know, I, I, I'm involved in many tra- uh, in a few transactions. I would say several, but several ongoing transactions, and see leases as a normal part of my daily practice, uh, I am beginning to see a greater focus being put on, let's just use it, the term force majeure or delay. What we've really learned from the past few weeks is um, that uh, an event, an unforeseen event like this is causing disruption in every business's business model. Uh, And that means revenue coming in the door, expenses going out the door. Um, And I think we're going to see some type of provision, I don't want to call it immediate rent relief, but an option in the event of a civil unrest or a mass closure for some type of deferral of rent built in. We're going to see some of this creep into our leases. We're going to see an expanded ability to delay performance of certain obligations uh, if there is another type of event that we've seen. Because let's be clear, most of the health um, experts think that uh, there will be a round two of this pandemic, and we may have to go back to shelter in place. And so leases and transactions that we're entering into now have to consider that so that we don't go back into what we've been doing right now. What have we been doing now? We've been putting tenants in default. Sure, we've been uh, giving them rent deferrals, but we've been doing it under the threat of a rent of a lease default. And I think we need to find a better way, and those are beginning to creep into purchase and sale agreements, office buildings, and going through due diligence periods and closing procedures. um, Those are clearly impacted by something like this, and even lease transactions. Recognize a lot of lease transactions say tenants, I'm going to deliver the premises to you today, and you have six months to build out the space. If you finish that build out early, that's to your benefit. You don't have to pay rent until six months from now. But if you don't finish it in six months, rent starts. Well, we may have to reconsider something like that because in six months, we may be in the throes of another shutdown. 
my general view that what we're seeing today is everyone's personality is coming through. Uh, I deal with many landlords. Some landlords have said, you know what? I'm going to work with all of my tenants and I can put them in three buckets. Bucket one are ground floor amenity retail where their business model has closed down and I'm going to give them rent abatement. Bucket two is rent deferral. There's been some impact on a tenant's business model. Their revenue has been temporarily interrupted or reduced. I will give them rent deferral. And the third bucket are major corporations who should have been able to plan for this and who should be able to ride through this for several months. And those people should be paying rent. But it, it's amazing how some building owners are just being very aggressive on all three of those groups. And some are recognizing that they need to preserve the value of their tenancies and work with their tenants. Uh, my view is the best landlord is the one that has happy tenants paying rent. And in order to do that, a landlord needs to be proactive and engage with their tenant and say, look, how can I help you get this ship back on track for the long term? And I'm, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not seeing, maybe it's just because people only call lawyers when they're in distress. Yeah. But I'm seeing many landlords be aggressive on that point and not be proactive and work with tenants uh, to write what is just a, you know, a break in the chain that affects everyone. Thank you, Manny. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with Great. us. Great. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Vlad.